Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On this week's episode of Circles Off, we have a very special guest. His name is Matthew Trinhale. He is the head of growth sports at Pinnacle Sportsbook. I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions about risk management the recreational book model versus the sharp book model, and some betting advice too. We'll have some fun with it. Let's get started here on Circles Off. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 81. As part of the Hammer Betting Network, you can check out all our content at thehammer.bet. Rob Pizzola here, joined by Johnny from BetStamp. 81, got to be one of the easiest numbers, I would say. Maple Leafs legend. I'm not even going to name anyone else. Phil the Thrill, the Iron Man, Phil Kessel. I wasn't even thinking that. I was going right away, Terrell Owens. Oh, like, come on. T.O., 81, come famous. On. Randy Moss, when he was with the Patriots as well, wore 81. I think he was 84 for most of his career, but 81 with the Patriots. He did. He was 84. That's when he signed back with the Vikes. said, get your 84 jersey. Right, out. exactly. 81 with the Patriots. But uh, 81 was an easy one off the top. And then, uh, obviously, the Phil Kessel one. That was like third in my list. I though. won't even list a, another player other than Phil Kessel. Yeah, I did. Although I do have a Terrell Owens Buffalo Bills jersey. What Phil Kessel has accomplished in his NHL career, though, like the Ironman streak, is actually hysterical when you consider that he was like essentially, I don't want to say like, paraded out of the city of Toronto for like eating hot dogs and he ends up just like consistently playing terrible fitness year. bad <laughs> poor work ethic apparently and then he is hasn't missed a game well he I'm pretty sure the last game that he missed was when he had testicular cancer right and it was he before he before he even played a game in Toronto yeah. was his yeah. last game he missed unreal iron man all right unreal we, we have, have a, a really good guest today go ahead Rob we do we have a very special guest he is part of Pinnacle, and Pinnacle is the official sportsbook partner of Circles Off. They are the world's sharpest sportsbook, and they're now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. You must be 19+. plus If you're in Ontario, please play responsibly. We always preach that here on Circles Off. Not available to U.S. customers. And we're going to welcome in said very special guest. His name is Matthew Trenhale. He is the head of growth sports at Pinnacle Sports, based in the UK right now. We were talking a little bit off-air before we started about this World Cup, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Matt, thank you for joining Circles Off. Very kind, Rob, and a very pleasant introduction. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, we'd like to start... Go ahead. Well, it is episode number 81. 81 I know you had perhaps yes. any, any uh, eight, number 81 special and near and dear to your heart, Matthew? Well, for, for your guys, I suppose Monk wasn't Monk um, 81, I oh, think, yeah. wide receiver yes. for... Um, yeah, so that was uh, that's a, a sort of classy old school one. Um, but the one because I I suspected that I was coming on for eighty one. So the one I had was uh, one of the, one of the uh, from the old country. Uh, Rob is uh, Christian Zaccardo. Wow, who played about seventeen caps, I think, for Italy. Yeah, um, and played for I think Palermo was maybe his his real best stint. I want to say, but you know, good player. Um, and he chose eighty one because of his birth year. 
and 81 is my birth year. So I thought, wow, the, the synergies are all there. But yeah, now that is um, 81 in soccer, not so common, right? There's uh, there's not many of those. But, um, but yeah, no, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was actually someone who was a legitimately very good, uh, very good player. So Zaccardo, not to get into history here, but I, I've been watching. Uh, I, I grew up with Italian heritage. Both my parents were were born in Italy. And uh, I grew up watching Serie A on Sunday mornings with my grandfather. So I know exactly who Christian Zaccardo is. And he was like, just like a utility defender and midfielder. Uh, started with Bologna, went to Parma, and then eventually went to Milan. And that's when like he took the step up in class to a good club. And it, the, his career did just like kind of fell off the cliff towards the end there. But I know exactly who Christian Zaccardo is. Played for the Italian national team as well. Interesting stuff. Yeah, a little bit... Uh before my time, especially in the soccer range here. <laughs> but good to know that, Matthew, if you played in the NFL, you'd probably be a receiver wearing number 81 for the birth year as well. <laughs> so we can get into uh, we can get into some World Cup here first. But uh, before we do, what we always like to ask, Matthew, is uh, if you can just give us a little bit about your background, uh, you know, what you're doing right now, how you came to, to you know, grab that position at Pinnacle, and the um, floor is yours. Sure, yeah. So um, my, my betting journey started... When I was in university, college, for for the North American reference, I guess, um, and I wanted a job just to you know help pay for beer money, that kind of thing, and uh, I worked uh, taking uh, phone bets for a for a company in London um, back when still you know almost all the bets were taken uh, on the phone for sort of uh, those kind of operators, and uh, it was um, spread betting. Now spread betting is probably too long to explain necessarily here, but if you're familiar with the points bet points betting the same thing um but yeah so it was uh, very much geared towards people who played the financial markets in london that was the target audience um but yeah so the first six years was just learning about that they were very mathematically minded about betting um very much early models early introduction to live betting they were very keen on live betting so um so yeah, it's a great place to cut my teeth did some financial trading for a few years in foreign exchange um did some work with a betting syndicate, specialized in golf here in London. Uh, worked at Sport Radar, which is uh, the people um, you know who supply a lot of the data for the betting industry and other services. Um, and then eventually found myself at Pinnacle. And uh, yeah, so I suppose slightly surreal. So I was hired by uh, Marco Bloomer, who's the uh, mm-hmm. the ex trading trading director of uh, Pinnacle. Um, and the surreal thing was is that he'd heard a podcast episode that I'd done. Um, about the challenges of building a sharp book, um, where I think I, I ranted for probably a couple of hours. Um, I think it was actually in response to something that Captain Jack had tweeted. And I, I, I sort of went bananas for like two hours on the podcast. And uh, he said to me like, yeah, I really like that episode. And I was like, oh God, right. Because I swear on virtually everything I do, unfortunately. I'll try not today. And I was like, yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, I shared it with quite a few of the people at Pinnacle. I was like, oh, God, this gets worse. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but it was just kind of like, um, yeah, you know, uh, what are you doing now? And I was like, um, for you, nothing. Um, so yeah, and he was like, okay, we're trying to build out. Um, at the time, you know, I, I initially joined Pinnacle in the, the B2B solutions. Um, so, you know, trying to provide, you know, Pinnacle quality risk management to other bookmakers. Um, and then, yeah, just weird i suppose succession of events um there was an opening in the trading team and it was kind of like oh, i i don't we feel awkward asking but you know i don't I suppose you could maybe like just look after this for a little bit yep 
<laughs> yep, I can do that. I absolutely can do that, you know. And yeah, I'm sort of like a little weird fanboy in the sense that like like, you know, people, you know, people people talk about their dream jobs. I'm I literally am living my dream job. So um so yeah, so I ended up doing that and that, that's where I now am in, in trading and head of growth sports. And growth sports is sort of a weird a pinnacle type thing in the sense that we have what's called North American sports, which were the core sports of the, you know, nineteen ninety seven or whatever, the original key North American uh, professional and college leagues. Um, and then spin out, we had soccer, which is came massive, tennis, which came massive in its right. Um, the original sort of poster boy of growth sports success is esports, started out as nothing. Now it's enormous for us. Um, and yeah, I sort of, I'm in charge of the incubator of all the other sports that may become big at some point, or maybe not. But um, yeah, everything from darts, snooker, volleyball, rugby, Aussie rules, cricket, you know, you name it, including the, I suppose the biggest stuff I do is I do the non-North American basketball, which is a lot of, you know, Chinese CBA basketball, EuroLeague basketball, these kind of things, and non-MLB baseball. So those of us uh, who are still, uh, you know, PTSD from lockdowns in the pandemic will be familiar with Chinese Taipei baseball, Japanese baseball, Korean baseball, that kind of stuff. So yeah, so that's uh, that's sort of how my journey uh, journey's gone today. So those were all, yeah, you're trading for all the sports that uh, popped off, I guess. During COVID, KBO during COVID K- was KBO, just like unreally like huge. It blew up. Taipei so, ball. Yeah. We had esports a little. Um, that's awesome. So, okay, get, we're, we'll get into uh, th- those things in a second here. But we got to ask you, because it just came to a close right now, the World Cup, Pinnacle, we noticed, uh, taking the highest limits. Anyone on the planet right now at that you know, accepts all winners. The most you could get down was that pinnacle prior to post. We're looking at around a half a million dollars per click with obviously the opportunity to rebet. Meaning, you know, if you bet that half a mil may only move a couple pennies, you can always rebet that again. Um, so we have a couple questions in regards to that. You let us know what you can and can't answer, but first and foremost, how did the world cup turn out for pinnacle? Great medium, not so good. Let's see if you can answer it. Better than expectation, but I will say that we were unsure collectively as a company as to what the timing, you know, putting this World Cup at this time of the year, we were completely unsure, I would say, as to how the volume would fall, uh, particularly from our, you know, non-professional customer base. Um, we really weren't sure as to how it would play out in that regard. And, you know, volume is dollars and cents to us at the end of the day. So, um we had we possibly tempered expectation a little bit going into the World Cup, but ultimately, the thing that uh, rewarded us was just the exceptional levels of volatility. People were, you know, unsure as to, you know, these Euro- these top European players coming in at peak fitness rather than at the end of, um, you know, a long season. There's just it's so many infinite variables. It felt like in terms of I mean, already international soccer has got a lot of complexity to it in terms of players who don't play together normally, but they just dialed up the variance to it. Variance, we hope, means, you know, price moves, uncertainty, all these things undoubtedly give us a better trading ecosystem to work with. Um, And at the same time, despite the volatility, um, all the serious, you know, top level uh, betters, it's a once in a lifetime high volume. They, They can't not flip the coins on something like this. They have to be in it. And, you know, there's no way they can avoid, you know, they can't turn down the EV, you know, especially when some of the, you know, essentially they know that, like, if they can predict market, you know, if you're trading eight cents, you know, and like you can predict a bit of market movement, 
you know, your 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 synthetic hold is the, is the common phrase used now. Is now you can get low synthetic hold just with Pinnacle by just like observing the market and thinking where it's going to move. Quickly develop strong opinions. So all of this, uh, you know, all of this combined meant that it was uh, most definitely a, a very solid tournament for us. I think a lot of people would would you know think of what Johnny was saying earlier with Pinnacle taking. Uh, half a million dollars a click, um, you know, half hour before uh, a World Cup match. And they'd be like, that's insane. How could anyone take that kind of money on a bet? How do you get to a point where you're confident enough in a number that you're comfortable booking a wager that that's, lo- that's as large as that? So, <clears throat> I mean, there's, there's several things at play. Um when we think of liquidity, uh, I suppose, I think a lot of people think of liquidity as the one-click amount. But in really high-volume events, it's actually the number of dollars you can turn over every second or every minute. That's the real liquidity. And if you think of like a stock market, you know, something like Apple, maybe you only have one or two shares at the top on the buy-sell, but, you know, it'll exchange hundreds of thousands of times a minute, those shares. And for us... Like if you think the half a million is big on one click, but if we're able to run through several million in a minute, you know, then suddenly you're like, oh, okay. So it becomes proportionate of how much money you're going to be able to turn over. Um, And you need to be able to know that you can buy and sell a bet easy. And when you're trading to that narrow spread with that much appetite to bet, you're in a situation where even if you take, you know, even if you think you've hit a little bit of a negative earn on one bet, you know that you have future volume for the next 29 minutes right. to be able to reshape it. And so you always feel like you can commit to that high size. I, I want to say it's, it's not even one-sided either. You know, people want coming to us, you know, the big groups, you know, the big professionals, they want that big size. And we want to make sure that bet lands with us. It doesn't land with, you know, another entity in the in the global ecosystem. So, you know, it, it's part of us, you know, having to deliver on what the demand is for the people, um, you know, who are betting in this sort of, you know, to my mind, it all, so it's mind blowing, you know, like I'm not the kind of person who, I don't think I've ever placed a, you know, you know certainly certainly never, never certainly ever placed a $50,000 wager. I, I may have placed a $5,000 wager at some point, but you know, like generally, you know, 500,000 in one bet. And, and the thing is, is that the mentality of the people betting into that market is different in the sense that you're thinking 5,000, you know, $500,000 at one click, they may be looking to build a $5 million position right. across the market. Yep. And so they're going to not only click the, the 500K, but they may you know, do some other things elsewhere around the world. And then suddenly they're like, oh, look, you know, Pinnacles drift back a couple of cents. Like I'm going to get my, you know, so that there's more rebedding. There's more, you know, there's more scope. And, and also I think, um, I actually think that people are a bit freer in this environment to take skinnier edges just to get the volume i agree which i think is interesting in the sense that costa rica has just lost seven nil to tournament and you're thinking okay you know i don't feel rock solid about this now but at the same time you know i've got a you know global synthetic hold of like zero or less than zero percent and there's no other way to bet you know 20 million of my you know 200 million bankroll over my group's got you know so just get it in there you know you just gotta (laughs) 
And so when you're faced with that sort of almost spiral, it's like a positive spiral, basically. You know, a lot of games or sports can get trapped in this kind of like, eh, there's not many people betting it. You try and raise limits and the only guy who bets it, like maybe pretty sharp in it. You kind of like in this little sort of, uh, just never really goes anywhere. And then suddenly you get something like a World Cup game or, you know, big NFL games, these kind of things. And it's like, everyone wants in. And then the, the movement also, like the moment people see movement, they may be like, I wasn't going to bet this game. I had no opinion. But now it's move date sense. You bet your ass I've got an opinion. You know, like, so it's just one of these things where, yeah, it just sort of, it really is this positive volume spiral that just beats. And then so suddenly you're like, okay, people want to bet half a million dollars. Um, and we now can envisage that there is that much money flowing around to allow us to move that money around. Yeah, you know, it just, it just ends. And, you know, I ought to, you know, can't turn away the fact like this was hyper-focused trading, you know, multiple people on one game at a time, you know, that's, you know, this is no, no joke at this point, you know, we're, we're trying to get into that almost matrix predictive, the line will move here. We're so confident it's going to move here. We can, you know, know in advance. That's the, that's the kind of level you want to get to for these kind of high profile stuff. So in that situation, yeah, you know, why not, why not hang a big number on the, on the max bet? Well, the interesting thing that I've always noticed is <clears throat> you'll see some, uh, maybe even some of the sports that you trade where the limit is a little bit lower, right? Meaning if the limit's only $250 or $500, then as soon as one person clicks that max bet, it should in theory move a lot more, right? Um, so every time I've seen, you know, limits of like even 50,000 or 100,000, let's say for NFL, one click typically doesn't move that that much. So um, it's crazy for us to see when a line near post for the World Cup might move even like 18, 20 cents with that limit, like how much was truly bet on that. So uh, I think that's an interesting context you provided in that multiple people are trading that line per game um, at, and they know they're going up against pro betters and they're just trying to turn over as much volume as possible. And you guys are playing with a little bit of an extra hold, right? Because the, the book, the, the bookmaker is actually taking the VIG on their end. Um, so, you know, you obviously just hope it's enough. And uh, yeah, right. I, what I love what you said was like, if you take that a couple big bets, even if you, you think there might be negative EV at the time they come in, still have like 28 minutes to, right, to shape the, the line ship. and, and <laughs> figure it out. Uh, so that's cool. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Uh, I think on my end, it sounds a lot like, um, you know, from a risk management perspective, the World Cup was successful for Pinnacle. And we hear a lot of the success stories in the space from different sports books when things go really well on their end. I'm very curious if you have any examples of uh, potentially like a risk management failure from Pinnacle in the past, an event that didn't go your way. And specifically, if you could point to any reasons why that was the case. Well, now you you, you did um, you did say to me that you're going to ask for examples of this. I have to admit that the boring examples are things where things just break, right? Something goes wrong, you right. know, and that's not necessarily a conscious uh, risk management failure. Um, but I, I have to give you some really obtuse examples, I'm afraid, from from growth sports. Um, but they they do highlight, I suppose, um, how you can't, you just can't sleep on anything. So I'll give you an example that uh, do you, are you familiar with how the chess world championship works? At oh all? yeah, well, jo Johnny would be for sure. During COVID, he was probably the number one chess better in the entire world. I would say chess is so, uh, it's a good it's a good betting sport. But yes, so, we are, um, we are familiar. Continue. So yeah, so there's the uh, the candidates tournament. See who plays against Magnus Carlsen, right? 
and chess falls under growth sports. So uh, someone said, "Oh, you got to, you know, well, you got to put up the multi-way for this. You know, got to put up the contest." Um, and so I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, fine." Like, you know, I did like a not a huge amount of research, but you know, I looked at like the chess.com and chess24, and you know, some people had done like some sort of like basic simulation. You know, chess naturally has you know Elo and Glicko working for it. People like so there's enough rating systems out there. And I was like thinking to myself, um, you know, okay. And then the other thing about chess is that it's it's actually quite liquid in Russia. So like the big Russian books actually take some quite serious money on chess. So I was like, got a market reference, got some models. Ah, you know, just jam this together. <laughs> up it goes, whatever. And, um, you know, first, first bet, like max bet, max bet, max. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's happened here? Um and then what transpired was is of course that the favorite for the candidates tournament was uh butch this dinglerin or lindrin the chinese player yeah and it transpired i, I always pronounced dinglerin i think but i, I don't know dinglerin yeah <laughs> so so it transpires that of course he has this literally ridiculous elo rating and it's massively inflated because he only plays in china he hasn't been allowed to play out of china so he's just had loads of pats. He's just put it's like it's like you know just horrendous like heavyweight boxer padded record. <laughs> so all the rating systems like so all, everyone just had him as like quite a short price favorite, and um and I was looking at it and then like sure enough like the second I think it was I want to say was it was it Ian Nepo, Neponchi or they just call him Nepo. <laughs> ne yeah, I think I think like so Nepo was the guy I think who won anyway. Did she got pounded? And I, I was looking around afterwards and you're like. You know, you're always trying to find, like, how have I had my ass handed to me so badly here? And you look around, and it's like, oh, yeah, so this one rating system I found had him, like, second best. And I was like, ah, okay. So that's sort of – and after the fact, you kind of think, you know, how's it going to help, I suppose. But, yeah, absolutely. Like, that was a classic case of – and, you know, I was probably only Google page two away from reading about all the Chinese conspiracy about the inflated rating, but I didn't get to Google page mm -hmm. two. And, uh, and, you know, and someone made, uh, you know, it's low limits. But the thing is, is this guy was like, I want to say it was like started at like 18 to one or something, something like that, you know. And this guy was just like, yeah, this is three to one, mate. Just I'm going to keep on <laughs> keep on hitting this. And I was like, it's one of those awful things where like you suspend, you're like, oh, no, I mean, you know, look around, you know, the Russian books are still out there. And I'm like, okay, put it back up, bang, bang, right. Okay, what's going on here? You know, yeah. And the the other, this is, this is a, a classic mistake, I suppose, coupled with, um, you know, I suppose this bad risk management is again, it's athletics. Now I cannot remember. It was a diamond league event. I cannot remember specifically. It was a women's might've been like 800 meters, something like that. And it's you know, it was something with rounds. I know that for sure. Cause I put it up between rounds compounded my error. This is how brutal it was. <laughs> so I put it up and you've got several heats so rather than just price everyone, we put up the field. This is very, this is very classic for sort of, um, I suppose, classic North American style booking is to have the field price. And I've always liked the field. I've never, like in the UK, we just quote a billion people, right? But I've always liked the field principle because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you give people a nice sort of basket full of randomness. And it's like, oh, here's a price for it. You know, I, I've always kind of liked that. So I, I sort of dumped them all in the field. And, uh, and I thought, that's fine. Um, and little did I know that I'd created my own like big short style 
basically, you know, CDO bomb in my book without realizing it because people just came on betting the field. And I was like, oh my God, what's coming on the field? And I just thought to yourself, well, you know, the favorite wasn't super sure. It wasn't like one of these minus 300 favorites right. in athletics or whatever. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe it's like, whatever, not too bad. Um, and then we actually took some money on the favorite as they got pushed out, you know, so the automation like pushes the favorite out a bit. I'm thinking to myself, oh, this isn't, this isn't too bad. Um, anyway, so that goes down. The next heat, so I put it up after the first heats. The field now is getting absolutely pounded. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, and I took it off and I thought to myself, and I made the, this is like the cardinal sin in my, like, if you're trading NFL, it's different, right? But in my zone, I made the cardinal sin of going, how much shorter can it be? Back it goes. And then, like, so I, I let, let myself get beat, smashed three times. And then <laughs> finally, it dawns on me. Oh God, the second favorites in the field, and I haven't realized. <laughs> and I, I just hadn't typed. I hadn't typed the second favorite, and so the, everyone knew that the second favorite therefore had to fall in the field price. Right. And the second favorite was like plus three fifty or whatever. And like this thing had been, I think literally the first bet, the first bet was at fifty to one or something like that. So yeah, that was a, a painful lesson. Did you get learned. burned? Yeah. Did the second favorite win? Yeah. Oh. oh. 100%. <laughs> and you know what the funny thing is about these bets, right? Is that as a book, they've never lost ever. And yet as a better, you're sitting there thinking like sometimes you get like, oh my God, I knew the injury before everyone. I had everything here. I knew the matchup between this, whatever. And it's like, you know, like some, like maybe some obscure, like anytime touchdown, like play or something like that. Just like, this thing is like plus 200 and I got plus 1800 and you absolutely know that that person is just dropping it in the end zone, you know, like fingertips out of it. Like you never win these, the ones where you get the insane value. I mean like the hundreds of percents worth of value that never wins as a better. And yet as a bookmaker, they never lose. So you're like, how does this work? These bets must just like negate themselves in the, in the world somewhere, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, when you're sat on that, it's like, you just know, like, Oh, this this is already won. No doubt about that. I caught a Rams bet last season where one book forgot to list the first the top like six touchdown scores and then had a field price of like plus seven hundred. So it was like uh in the for the Rams, it was like Cup wasn't listed. Um there's like literally none of those guys were listed. It was the beginning of the season last year. I think like Woods wasn't listed, Henderson, whatever, and it, it didn't win. This is one of the most common edges I think that certain people look for. This specific one right here, uh, we have another content creator here at The Hammer. He goes by uh, Joey Kanish, and he's maybe sent me a dozen bets that he's really liked in his life. Probably 10 of those 12 have been, hey, they didn't list this person, and he's <coughs> going to be in the field. Go and bet the field. It's sometimes like some NASCAR grouping or, or some golf grouping. It's just like random stuff of... Um, you know which golfer from this country like is going to perform have, yeah. best? As, you know. <laughs> they don't have top. They don't have top, top South African with this guy. Exactly, listed. exactly. Right? They just miss someone. So that's a, a common one that I think people look for. I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that one. Uh, and also, I think a lot of people would completely resonate with exactly what you said there at the end about like I'm I'm very consumed in the Twitter space, but th a common theme every week is somebody complaining about how they got like upwards of 10% CLV on a specific game. And they're like, I always lose the game where I get the most CLV. Like I can't explain why, but um, 
I, I think a lot of people will resonate with your answer there, uh, Matt. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the profiling of accounts. Um, specifically, we know that this happens with um, more recreational books, but for different reasons. A lot of times it's just so that they can, um, let's say, reduce the player's limits very quickly. With sharp books, you might use uh, the flagging of accounts or profiling accounts uh, in different ways. Um, I think we've gotten a lot of questions in the history of circles off about this, which myself and Johnny haven't been able to answer, but maybe you can speak a little bit more to this specifically how uh, pinnacle would tend to profile accounts, how quickly that would happen. Does the amount that someone is betting actually matter uh, and how you guys would utilize that to your advantage uh, from a trading perspective. So obviously I would have to, you know, I think everyone would appreciate it. I'd have to pick my words carefully here. Um, but I don't think I'd be saying anything untoward by saying that every single bet is a potential piece of information. And every bet has potential to carry signal or noise, essentially. And there are several layers to any bet. Um, what sport is it placed on? What market is it placed on? Um, was it a main line or an alternate line? Uh, was it placed at the open? Was it placed just before close? Was it placed in running? Was it placed just after a red card in soccer? You know, huge. There's all these layers, and the player is only one part of that. So, to, to use the word profile, like Pinnacle is profiling the markets, it's profiling the people, it's profiling the time. It's it's, it's a huge amount of elements that go into it. Um, and these problems are why, you know, we, we still believe firmly in the power of the human trader along with, you know, uh, automation, because quite often humans are capable of observing these patterns and actually picking them up faster than, you know, some sort of machine learning exercise can sometimes pick up the pattern. Um, so in terms of, you know, we always are looking for, you know, who the, the sharp customers are, undoubtedly. Um, and we're also very cautious that so as a as a bookmaker we must constantly create resilience and our robustness of how we trade comes from you know we tend to err on the side of caution rather than jump the gun you know just like a better you know if you win 10 bets in a row you think you're a hero right. you just inverse it you know you just flip it you know as a as a as a bookmaker you've got to constantly think just positive variance for the better you know could just be around. So we're often waiting for, you know, good statistical, statistically significant records to develop, right? And we're patient. We're in this for the long game. You know, we can afford to do that. Now, if you're doing the exact same thing as someone else, well, that's a piece of information, right? Yeah. You know, if you bet exactly at the same time as other people, or if you bet in a notoriously, um, I suppose, volatile spot, these kind of things. There are certain things that we can, you know, deduct, deduce, you know, behavior from in advance. But I would say, you know, it's very much in our interest generally to, um, you know, allow records to reach into the thousands before we take any aggressive, you know, sort of viewpoint on these things. Um, you know, that, that's sort of just um, what, what's the prudent way, I guess, to, to go about it. Um, but this, the, all these things can vary, you know. I, you know, if if Rob bets the NHL openers, his ROI is different than if he bets the closes. Right. 
-hmm. you know and so sometimes you know you may get an account let's say let's say rob did both what are you going to do now how do we profile rob's account well when rob does this at the opener it means one thing when he does this at the, near the close it means another when he hears that the goalie's out that means another thing mm -hmm. you know so it, it's very difficult to sort of i think um you know there's this idea that you know well we've got just nothing but billy walters and you know you know these kind of people here and we've got everything else there and you know just make these guys move the line massively and make these guys you know do nothing and then that's you know that's all she wrote um and the reality is is that there's just sort of you can get caught down bogged down into it but there's a lot of a uh, lot of complexity in it but there's, sometimes you get these situations where it's just like you know the whole classification of people who bet very close to the open you know a lot of people who are doing that then you can sort of create a general impression of okay people that do this kind of stuff we can expect to hold X against them. You know, you can build up like a, right. a group profile, if you like, of people who do this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's 100% not a solved game for us. It's, that's the, it's almost, it sounds, you know, it sounds weird to enjoy your life being hard, but I, I do quite like, the, you know, customer profiling, um, how, how people create their edge, how they improve, you know, spotting when that edge disappears, you know? That's that's super um super challenging, right? But the very nature is that we're desperately trying to create, you know, the most horrendous shark tank possible. We're desperate to get the absolutely most unpleasant, ruthless, you know, winning betters ever, because they're the ones that chew out the not quite so ruthless ones, right? So, you know, it, you know, the guy the guy who was, you know, destroying us in two thousand and fourteen may not be the guy who's destroying us now and you know if you're if you're super lucky they don't realize that they've lost it right that's um i don't think i'm saying anything here that i, I don't think i've given away the no. you know the see anything anything that you couldn't extrapolate yourself very obviously but um well I, I appreciate that it's it's a tough question and you know we put people on the spot with those types of questions and um there's a, there's a, a balancing point obviously with what you can say and what is useful. But I, I think you said a lot of things that are, are useful. For me, I've always been curious, and you touched on it a little bit, but um, we, like we know about the profiling of accounts, but I call it the unprofiling of accounts. And I was curious if, if that was something that actually happened. Like how often does a bookmaker, um, you know, profile someone as sharp and then like revisit that and say, hey, maybe this person has lost their edge and we shouldn't be moving based off of their action anymore. Um, I, I'll give a personal experience of mine, but in my heyday, I was a very, very good NHL better betting, um, you know, a lot of money into the NHL market and it would move the market whenever I placed a bet. And then that edge slowly started to erode over time. And, I, you know, I'd click and I'd be like, I'm surprised that they're like, they're really still moving off my action considering like I've just lost a bunch over the course of the last year on this sport. So I was very curious about the, um, like the unprofiling and, and how, how often the bookmaker keeps up with people that, um, they've already deemed to be this type of better and whether they're like rebucketed over time, essentially. Well, so one thing you, again, we're constantly being cautious. One thing you do have to be cautious about is we have very loyal customers. People have been with us for over a decade and, you know, more. And so we have some, and we have some groups who bet like an insane amount of times. So we get some pretty enormous betting records, like staggering, 
one of the first things I looked at when I was in Pinnacle was looking for the people who've, you know, just bet a lot of times, not you know, people who win or lose or whatever. I just wanted to look at the within growth. You know, I had some guys who bet into my kind of sports, like with 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 plus bet records. And you're like, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot of bets. And within those records, because they're betting into people who, in my case, I hope we're doing a, a reasonable job at it, they can go 500, 1,000 bets losing. So at what point would I know to un unsharp that guy? <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's very difficult, you know, because I look back thirty thousand bets holding, you know, four percent or whatever, it's like guy's sharp, no, no doubt about it. No statistical test you can do here that doesn't say the guy's smart. And yet a thousand bets, I could have just been going, This guy's lost it now. So you have to put two and two together. Like you have to basically create a good reason why they've lost it. So Let's say I'm, you know, I'm sure Rob, you were, you were really into uh, like the XG involvement in hockey. You know, when when that when that number started to really come out and be formulated. Now there's the guys who first were collecting the data. You know, the data became sort of semi-public ish, and then there's people building numbers off of that. And that guy may have like that, you know, iteration one guy spreadsheet you know, mouse just clicking, like makes bets. This line's not going to move for the next six hours. Doesn't really matter how fast I'm doing it. You know, dirt click. That guy, pretty soon we're like, this guy is literally beating us for 15% on hockey, NHL. Like, what's going on? You know, sharp. Yeah, this guy's, you know, you know, he's just continually beating us. The line's always moving, you know, ultimately in the end to where he bets all good. And then suddenly you notice... There's another guy who's betting bigger and earlier than him. Because that guy, you know, he was the guy just like, oh, it's a little fun system. I love hockey. I love numbers. You know, I'm just there <laughs> playing with the stats, betting $50. And you're like, you know, sometimes it's hard to even uncover these people. Like these people can just be, you know, you talked about how important is size. You know, we take a ton of bets, a ton of volume. And it's like sometimes these bets are just, you know, it's it's hard to sort of but you know, we're constantly analyzing, looking for I call them micro sharps, but you know, there's plenty of people out there that just, you know, they're not looking to be professional betters, but they're just super smart. It's like some of the smartest betters I've ever met have been academics who don't even like placing a bet, you know. So I'm you're like, you find this guy, and this guy won't know that his lunch is going to be eaten because some at some point, some group or some just sophisticated guy. You know, he's built the automation to calculate the ratings, bet the price automatically, blah, blah, blah. You know, he doesn't realize that his lunch is slowly being stolen. And maybe he realizes that, hang on, I used to get eight value bets a week and now I'm only getting two. But they're still two big value bets. And what he doesn't realize is now an adverse selection. The two bets he's not getting is the guys, you know, the smarter guy is now not betting those. So he's leaving them to you. And then slowly but shortly now, in that situation, if a human, again, Huge amount of data science at Pinnacle, huge amount of machine learning exercises, huge, you know, you know, just just huge data dumps, these kind of things. We have every bet since Pinnacle's inception, every single one, all recorded. So, you know, the data analytics is off the scale, you know. But, you know, if ever just a trader says, oh, I used to love this guy. I used to know whenever this guy bet, I just, you know, move the line like an extra 20 cents because he's just ridiculous. And then that trader's watching and like sees the bets come in. It's like, oh, my friend, you know, you kind of, you almost you know, love these guys, right? Because they're just, you know, just brilliant for you. Okay. You know, not betting huge and just sharpening the line beautifully, all the rest of it. And then suddenly you realize, oh, ah, 
oh, this guy, he, he, he's sort of betting the same time as my friend. And he's hitting the max bet and he's rebetting and all the rest of it. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, game got professional suddenly. So whatever that guy, and sometimes these, it's always these, like, it's, it's kind of like if you invent it, like, I don't know who invented the first, was there a search engine before Yahoo? I don't know who the very first search engine was. You know, Google gets to have the, jo- the, the glory, but, you know, like, there's always an all sports betting. There's the guy who first discovered the pitch FX date or the guy who discovered the barometers at the games with the humidity, the guy who discovered XG, the guy, who, all these people. It's so rare for that person to get, like, proper rich. Because at some person, you know, because the, often these people are just really curious. They just love ideas. They love playing with things. But that doesn't necessarily have the ruthlessness, you know. And then suddenly Kanish comes and talks to them. And, <laughs> and, and they figure it <laughs> out, it's like, Bob. It, 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 it's like, I don't know what you do, but I promise you I'm going to absolutely hammer this. <laughs> you know, just give me the give me the chance and I will do it. And, you know. It's like, I think, guys, I want to say that I've heard on a podcast before, Rob, people like reached out to you on Twitter, didn't they? When they're looking at your hockey numbers, they were just like, I don't know what you do, but it looks good to me. So let's, let's get it. Let's, let's ramp this up. And there's always someone looking to ramp it up at the end of the day. So those guys, you can sort of unprofile because it's like, I'm sorry, my friend, you're no longer, uh, you're no longer at the cutting edge. But yeah, very careful about, you know, we're very careful at, you know, making someone move the line a lot. We're very careful at making them, uh, move it not so much you know you just got to be careful and you know that's 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 the truth of it that was my journey into being a pro better was just posting baseball numbers to twitter every day and then somebody reaching out to me saying hey the market is steaming as soon as you post your numbers to twitter and i was like i don't even know what that means like someone's <laughs> got to explain that to me and they're like you have something of significant value and you're posting it for free and everybody's using it um so that was that was the light bulb moment for me uh, where I got pretty lucky. A lot of what you said there resonated with me. I've lived through a lot of those um, experiences that you just talked about. I want to talk about some betting concepts. This is like com- some some things that have, are really growing in the space right now. And we had the head of risk from Circa, uh, who's another sharp sports book based in Nevada, um, come on and like speak to this a little bit. But the big thing that's happening in the space right now Um, as content starts to take off and we're part of the content space now as well. Public bet percentages are huge. People, the fade the public strategy and the whole notion of reverse line movement is huge. Can you speak to both of those concepts? And if you think that there is actually any value in a better looking at public bet percentages to place a bet, or looking at some sort of reverse line movement strategy where they essentially weigh where the dollars are in market and where the line currently is before they go and place a bet? I think the, the first thing I should say on this subject was that the Pinnacle tweeted bet shares that yes. come on the Twitter account, there were incredibly smart people before my time within Pinnacle that did not want those shared. Hmm. So that that sort of is, I suppose, a, a bit of a hint as to my 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 viewpoint on that. Um, as it is, I think it is interesting content. I actually think it's interesting content whether you can utilize it for your own betting or not. I think it's you know, if if you're into the betting space generally, I think it's quite a nice curiosity. But um, but I would say that you know, you're not far. From observing, like, you know, 
let's let's plug let's plug bet stamp right you know right now you know if you're staring at an odd screen and you're watching the odds move now if you are aware that you've got reasonably accurate information from a uh, book that moves off money moves off information moves off money you know they're not a feed consumer you know they're they're actually moving their own lines and there's a agent is intelligence behind the line moves the way they move now if you have access to that um you know bet share bet counts basically not the volume but you get to know the bet counts and you get to know what the odds are now and you can look through your odds do, do you guys have odds history within the bet stamp we do, um, yes. yep yeah and you can see the way the odds move and the size of the moves you're not far away from extrapolating what goes on now once you've extrapolated what's going on, the question is, is has the steam run out the move or is there no is the price now at equilibrium? Right. I would say that the price is not always at equilibrium. And sometimes what you can do is you can actually look very specifically at the game. Like so I would say that um the race to equilibrium is is sort of faster in like sort of low low liquidity um, you know low almost a lot of these games just have no real systematic bias in them they just literally the money drives it towards its sort of relative efficiency you know it may not be very efficient but it's efficient relative to the other people trying to bet into it um but you know you get these big games you know things like monday night football or you know world cup games or whatever where you can get these situations where you're like yeah i can i can see why there might be still room in that you know you, you i suppose you have to put it in our minds as to right so you know pinnacle's job is to make as much money as possible from every from the next from the next bet you know well not just the next bet but sort of for the remaining bets they envisage and they have put themselves in this situation now is it advantageous for them at this point to hold the line um if they're predicating where the next bets are coming so you know like public the, 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 i think people always think about like you know wall of public money you know, bet count 10 million versus bet count two, but the two is, you know, you know, two of the sharpest, uh, you know, syndicates in the world kind of thing on the other side. Um, but I think, you know, let's say you've established the quote unquote, you know, sharp side as in whether the higher, but, you know, you talked again about bet size, you know, smarter people tend towards bigger bankrolls, tend towards yep. betting bigger. You know, there, there is undoubtedly a correlation with that. I don't want to say, people will always like to say like, oh, I know this guy who just donks off a million here and there in Vegas. Of course, of course. But, you know, very generally in our ecosystem, you know, people who bet max, who, you know, are betting big, you know, they, they tend to be the people with, you, you know, with an objective and they, they know how to get there. Um, so, you know, you, you definitely can get to the point where like this price is definitely lopsided in terms of, you know, there appears to be more, signal on this side more noise on this side now should it go further should it not well a you can look to see where the next move is and make a deduction from that you know is it still going that direction or is it still going this direction um you can also look at the narratives behind the two things you know comeback game for you know tom brady after injury whatever you know these kind of you can look at what sort of narrative is building around it. So I, I think it's like, to, I think a lot of people want to say it's pure garbage, you know, there's no value in it, all the rest of it. If you, like anything, if you make it your sort of life's work, if you dedicate yourself to just purely looking at odds moves and then somehow you've got an access into that real-time information, I don't know how, I've never really known how these people who like claim to have like 
I don't know, ex bookmakers like numbers. I don't I don't know how real time it is, and I don't know how necessarily they get access to it. But I do know that you know I think people are sort of saying it's not worth anything without all the extras, and I, I I do kind of agree with that. But I do definitely think sometimes you can find yourself in these huge, you know, huge games um, where it just it just makes sense for us to, you know not let the sharp side completely dictate the game you know huge amounts of public money makes sense to earn off the public money so you know bet share is going to give you a little window into that i think i'd be interested to know i didn't really i'd be interested to know some of the ticket counts in regulated us when the mattress mac bets were coming in you know towards the end like yeah. it'd be very you know i think at that point you can start to think you know, those bet shares would be interesting, right? Because Max on one side, is that a square? Is, who's advising Who's advising Mac to place that bet? Is he only placing the bet when it's, quote, positive EV? Because, you, you know, people like that attract a lot of people who want to give them the good advice, right? You know, so, you know, I think that's one of the areas where you can start to sort of, if you dedicate yourself to it, you can probably start to get information out of, out of that stuff. But yeah, I, I would say it's not easy though. Well, one thing I will say is uh, Pinnacle doesn't limit winners, right? So you accept action from anyone. Therefore, the actual bet shares are a little bit more valuable at, at Pinnacle versus a recreational book. So I, the reason why in the past we've said that it's not really valuable is because um, most people are looking at, you know, competing platforms to us or apps or websites that show like, okay, here's DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet, MGM, whatever down the line. And I know how they get that data. And the like, you know, we, we're an affiliate and we, we love the, those sports books as well. And we, we advise still, you know, playing everywhere you can open up as many outs as you can. Um, but we might get an email from one of those sports books to our affiliate team in the morning saying, Hey, here are today's bet percentages. If you wanted to use these for promotion and they come in the morning. So that means they probably pulled it either the night before or right in the morning. And then there's people looking at that at 7 PM before the game and making a decision off of the bet percentages that were sent to an affiliate in the morning yep. and like not in, not updating in real time, um, not including anything to do with what line that were, was bet at the profile of the player that was that, that, that bet that, which is obviously massive. And then on top of that, that was just like the opening number, the, the line, like you mentioned, it's like once you've even determined, because it's definitely possible to determine, okay, which line is, which way is this line going to move? It's like, once you've determined that it's like, okay, I, I could have determined from these bets that this line would have moved from three up to five, but it's already at five. So right. there's no value then after, I think if you had, if you had given me, Hey, this is every bet that was placed at pinnacle. All you don't even have to give me the percentage. Just give me like, here's all the bets that were placed on this game throughout the day. If I got that in real time, then yes, I'd be able to make a ton of money because I'd, I'd reference that with the line history and see where you guys moved. Um, but just giving me a summation saying like, hey, this is how many percentage of people bet this at any given snapshot. I don't think I could earn off that. And But maybe again, like you said, if you make it your life's work, maybe, but I, I don't I think mean, I could earn maybe off if that. You were, maybe if you were looking at um, you know, real-time data for a sharp book and then using that to formulate bets at more recreational books. I think there's a possibility of that as well. Um, you know what I'm getting at? For sure, but then you don't even really need that. It's true. You don't. You, you don't just need the line history. You just need the. You really just need the line. Exactly. It's all you really need. Uh, 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 an interesting story from. So when I traded in finance, 
um, we were generally dealing to uh, the retail market. So people who wanted to just trade, you know, uh, foreign exchange or the price of gold or whatever, you know, open up a private account. So like Robinhood, but sort of before Robinhood. And often there was good um, leverage before the US in particular clamped down on this. You could get like 100 to 1 times your money to trade on foreign exchange and things like that. And they actually built in-house back then a trading algorithm, so a prop trading algorithm for, for us, where basically whenever 70% of our, because if you think like sports bettors lose, it's nothing compared to people who try their hands at financial trading. Yeah. It's just it's just unreal. Like over 10 years, I think we like had f less than five over a 10-year period, like who sort of sustainably made money. And we had this thing where, and it was, absolute perfect inflection point the moment it went 70 30 long to short on the on a market you knew that that was the time to fade it it was absolutely ridiculous like the sheer power of every greedy cognitive bias of everyone who wanted to get rich all at once and when the market hit that apex of like everyone's got to be in this this is the trade to be in this is the tesla this is the whatever it is literally you hit that point and it's like that is the point to reverse the move. Yeah. And and it was incredible. Like that this thing just made, I think at the time people kind of were unsure of like, is, is it this easy? Like we'll just, you know, it was betting, it was sort of trading for us, but not in like monster, monster size. But it was just, it was just ridiculous to the, to the extent that I actually had people like say to me like, you know, I might actually have to like shift some money like into my pension or whatever. And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, I mean, the market's going to go up. And he said, why? Because literally 80% of our customers are short. So it's just going to go to the moon, right, at this point. And we're like, it actually became people that actually considered like making, you know, life financial decisions based on this indicator. It became so, um, so ridiculous. So in that, in that sense of like knowing when the public is super just absolutely juiced to the max on the side, you know, whether there's value in the price or not. It definitely, definitely. If I ever see that skew that large in a in a bet share on Pinnacle, where before I worked here, I would always be like, oh, let's just see what the price action is. Mm -hmm. You know, I definitely would always have a look. You know, just to see, like, because you're kind of intrigued to see how that sort of um, plays out. And you know, and the funny thing is, is that you know, if it, the the most intriguing thing is when the price has not moved at all. Yeah. Like last six hours, it's done nothing, and yet the seventy thirty percent bet share, and it's like not moved at all. Right. Yeah. Who's who's in the thirty percent? You know, <laughs> like. Right, so sure. yeah, you know. I mean, it's like like I say, it's. I, I think it's. You know, there's there's the um the the light the. The odd screen obsessives, right? Who are watching? You know, who look for the patterns? And I'm 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 sure if you if you sort of gave them, the information, even even slightly off real time, I reckon they'd uh they'd be able to definitely work with it. But as you say, quote sharp book, definitely that data's um you know, much more valuable than for, for the sure. Though the thing I've always noticed is though, when you look at it, like a bookmaker versus a better, the better builds a position. And typically that position at the end, you know, you'll, you'll be like, Hey, I built up this position. I have Rams minus three minus one Oh five. And it's closing Rams minus four minus one ten. I have a good position. If you know, you, you value that as a good position, but what would then happen is when, when you look at the bookmaker side, you guys are taking, you know, call it, negative vig right so you're actually collecting vig so you're always betting at you know usually in theory obviously like you know plus oh plus oh five plus oh five call it with pinnacle or you know shifting depending on the hold you're taking on that market but 
when you guys build a position, since you have so many like people, like let's say you take a million on one side, million on the other side, that cancels out. You've made your position there. That now heads in like you, you already got that 40 grand off the top. And then now, so when Pinnacle ends up with a position, they'll be like, okay, we have the Rams minus three, but we have it at plus one plus 117 yeah because of you know all of the money that came in and the way it works so i always look at when i'm looking at hey like we need to be on the same side of the book as the bookmaker like we're laying minus 110 minus 101 if you shop around and you know go no hold for sure but we're laying minus 10 you guys are usually collecting at the end of the day your position will likely be a good position and we'll likely have collected a, a a bunch of vig to make that like a plus 12 plus 17 and in that scenario Sure, we can get the same number as you, but we might we're not get the same price. We, we need we need to win at a different threshold than the Wait, book. And like the, usually, and like between four and five percent, uh, you know, be, because of the hold. So that that's that's my issue with the fade the public stuff, right? But is it's on. not Matt apples Cap, to apples. Matt Metcalf tweeted out the other day saying that uh, Circa Nevada was holding three percent, right? I think that's that's high. That's a good for his model, and they don't have that many recreational betters. He's doing a great job. I would assume Pinnacle's holding in and around the same range. You know, might be a little less, might be a little more, but it's definitely not you know twenty five percent or twenty percent or ten percent even like the re- like the more recreational books. So if you guys are building those positions up and only holding three percent, then how how good do you have to be as a sports better to hold three percent? That's the key. Yep. Right. You're not going to do it by just looking at the bet percentage. And then going and picking up a number. I don't. I don't think so. But to each their own. Like anytime I post something in a public forum, social media related to um, bet, not using bet percentages or things of that nature, I met with a lot of people who claim that they exclusively bet like that and they win money. Now, who knows if that's true or not? Right? Like everybody thinks they win money in sports betting. The rea- we know from industry studies that like. 1% of people actually do. I find it very difficult to believe 75% of the people following me are all long-term winners um, when we know what the industry numbers are. But yeah, I, I think, Matt, just to like bring it back to what, what Johnny said, I, you know, I, I consulted for sports books for years, so I've kind of been on the on the book side of things. And, you know, you take in a bunch of bets, you're basically, you're get, you get plus 110 on the side that you like for a lot of these books that are out there. Now, the better wants to be on the exact same side as the book, but they're not getting plus 110. They got to go out and lay minus 110. So now you have, it's, it's not apples to apples, right? You have to, you have to win five more bets out of 100 than the book actually has to do in order to win. Looking at 9%. It's a big difference. I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, um, defend the, the apparent easiness of booking. <laughs> Uh, by saying that, um, you know, if you th- if you think um, if you think the minus one ten is powerful, you know, adverse selections five times more powerful. You know, having to book every line versus you being able to pick and choose. You know, for for me, from my perspective, is that you know, whenever a better is placing a bet in their mind, they're not paying the vig because their fair price that they're taking is bigger than the bet. It definitely happens. So, so so from their so from their perspective, you know. If they make something like you know minus one thirty, you know minus one ten, you can say that they're you know they're paying they're they're paying the vig, they're paying the vig relative to a fair price of fifty percent, but you haven't made it fifty percent, you know you've made it you've not made it plus one hundred, you made it minus one thirty, and you get to choose when to bet and when not to bet. So you know, like I say, it's um, I like to think that whether it was um, you know, 
Metcalf and Benson or or you know guys from our side or whatever, you know, there's, there's plenty of sweat that goes into uh, you know keeping as much of that vig as we can. Oh, we're, we're not suggesting otherwise, by the way. <laughs> want to be yeah, want to be clear here, Matthew. I was more referencing. I'm not saying how easy it is, and you guys don't even book minus one ten, minus one ten. You're you know even 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 lighter than that, which is crazy. But what I was more saying is, if you think that you can make money just by following these bet percentages. Then that I was more given an example there. Like on that specific bet, the bookmaker is, is building a way better position than you. So you, you're not getting that same position, even if you follow the, the bet percentages. However, obviously if I had the bet log from pinnacle, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not valuable. That's some of the most valuable that would be worth millions, obviously um, in the right hands. Right. Uh, one thing yeah, I wanted the, to the, ask, yeah, no, ahead, fr so. no free lunches, right? No, you know, no, no, free, no, no, no free no, lunches. No. So, so Matthew, uh, this wasn't on the sheet. Um, and if you don't, you don't want to answer this, we can cut this out for sure. But, uh, what percentage of your pinnacles business do you think is, you know, in terms of dollars made, what percentage would come from more, what you, what you call a recreational base versus a sharper base? Cause we referenced it before. There are a ton of sharp betters, um, potentially including Rob and I who might win at other books, but then also give a percentage of the profits back to pinnacle despite the fact that we're, we're going to win at sports betting, potentially in the long run over our whole portfolio, we may still lose a pinnacle. We may still lose a Circa. Like, so first of all, I should say, I don't know the answer. Actually, I, I genuinely, it, it's not something that I've ever had to like, particularly think hard about. Um, the longer the time span of the betting record, the more it trends to, you know, the longer you give us to beat you, the, the the more it's likely to trend towards you know zero people who who can who can beat us but the reality is is that there's people who've beaten us consistently for many many years as well um the more you play the more you lose that's what i'm hearing here <laughs> uh, well i mean you know if we're doing our job right sure you know if we can't get better off people you know at the end of the day you know we don't, you know, we have to pay you for the information, but you know, if we, if we pay, if we pay you for it long enough, hopefully eventually we learn a lesson. Otherwise it's pretty expensive tuition for us. Yeah, um, sure. but, um, it's hard. It, I, it'd be hard for me to know one thing I do know. And the average pinnacle customer average is better than a coin flipper. So it doesn't doesn't beat the doesn't beat the vig, but is better than a coin flipper. Is is the average barstool customer worse than a coin flipper? That I have a belief that they are. So from when I was at Sport Radar and we were doing the this is back, you know, when I was working with the managed trading services department, you know, we would look at books which had customer base that we genuinely believed would still make money vig free. Wow. Because the cognitive biases, think of the guy who like literally saw Spain win seven nil against Costa Rica. Right. And he is like, there's only one outcome of the next game. Spain's <laughs> going to win by Spain might win by 10 now, you know? And uh, I always said Spain were great. Look, you know, they won these big events before, you know, literally like every single newspaper, you know, Barstool article, you know, 
ESPN headline, he's just aggregating it like this incredible neural network, just processing all the biases. He's spoken to the guy in the bar. Do you like Spain? The guy's like, I love Spain. <laughs> Knew it. Like he is just pulling all that in in the same way the sharpest models, like, you know, algorithmic models are trying to completely remove all bias. Yeah. 100% from it. You know, like I don't even, if ideally the machine places the bets for me, I don't ever have a subjective opinion. This guy is only, he's pure subjective. Nothing. He's distilled it down into its purest form. And he's like, do you know what? I'm not even going to take Spain at like the minus two and a half. I'm going to take the minus four and a half plus money because it's impossible they don't win by a billion. You know, like he is just literally just, and these people, 100%, and like, the, I, I would encourage people to in no way ever, ever judge these people. Because it's someday you'll need them to plan your stack, do. <laughs> so you know, at the end, at the end of the day, like you know, ultimately these these people like just they live life intensely and full, and you know, they, yeah. So one hundred percent, but yeah. So go, going back to anyway, I digress. By the way, going I'm getting to... a lot of deja vu of myself in my twenties. <laughs> As you're telling me this, this is just me sitting around with my friends of like watching an NFL game. Team wins by forty two. Like I can't. They're gonna crush. They're playing a worse team next week. They're going to kill them and losing those bets. So this this is like, it's given me a throwback to my youth. I appreciate that. So what we can deduce is the average Pinnacle customer, um, you know, is going to lose, but they're going to lose slower. And now part of this is the power of line shopping, which you guys always preach. A lot of people who, when they come to Pinnacle and place a bet, they're coming to us to place a bet because we are competitively positioned within the marketplace. So, um, or alternatively, just in general, you know, we are happy to sacrifice some VIG in the price discovery process slightly more aggressively, maybe than other people, to get to the good number quicker. You know, all these things mean that, you know, you have a fighting chance. And I, I think a lot of, I think this is undersold generally, that if you are losing less than the VIG, you've achieved something. You should absolutely recognize that at this point you have you've made your first step and to break even i think is really undersold as like an achievement bearing in mind there are people over there like as i say you know you know par parlays can get you into the sort of you know sort of if you're living the the pull full parlay yolo life you know you can be winning you can be losing far more than the, even the expected VIG in these things. So to bring yourself back down to like coldly considering, you know, line shopping, getting the best number, all the rest of it, to get to that point where you even get to your breaking even, you should, you know, you should feel, you should congratulate yourself on the discipline, you know, and and the and the and the work you put in there. You know, like winning is just not easy. It's not easy, if, like whether you bet into a shot. It's not even. It's not even easy betting into anyone, like other books. You know, it's like it's. Betting requires you to like deposit your emotions at the door and you know coldly think about you know what's the what's the best thing to bet or you know work on something to you know write a program whatever you're going to do how are you going to do it it's not you know it's, no one's giving it away so um so yeah so I, I don't know whether the ratio how the ratios I think I think where we have probably we have a much larger segmentation of people who are are losing very slowly in very small amounts but they are losing. So maybe, maybe hypothetically, I guess the the number of the percentage of people winning with us isn't actually that different, except they bet a lot, right? Volume terms, completely different kettle of fish. Like, let's say we had only two percent customers or one percent of customers who win with us. 
you know, they're not they're, they're not just tippy tapping around with the ten dollar bets. You know, those guys will obviously be getting as much on us at all times as we go. But yeah, I mean, it, it could it could well be that a huge percentage, you know, of I mean, you know, enough people lose to keep us in business for twenty over twenty years. So, um, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like where there's this big, this you know, you know, big break between us and you know a fan duel at DraftKings is probably there is this large chunk of people who are losing like half the vig and we're okay with that you know well you heard it here winning is not easy and that is spoken from a man who has been behind the screen booking what what i want to say is millions of bets so uh definitely would trust this uh this opinion here we wanted to get onto a, a few more uh concepts matthew if you still have some time here so the one that you know i know rob wanted to talk about was the the sharp model versus the recreational model and how you know we've seen it before Circa, they don't limit. Pinnacle, they don't limit. They let everyone play, and they book to that information. And you, you've heard Matthew talk on this podcast so many times and so many good little nuggets here about uh, why the information is so important, why those bet logs are so important. Yet you see multiple other sports books. In fact, let's call it every single the other vast sports majority, book, yeah. yeah, in the regulated space that will cut off winners and will not actually go with this strategy. So curious to get your thoughts on this um, here, Matthew. Can't understate the importance of ownership and heritage. Um, I feel terrible about not knowing the name of Circa's owner. Dar- is it Darren? I can't oh. remember Circa's owner. Of the owner? Derek yeah. Stevens. Yeah. Derek, no, not Darren. Derek Stevens, right? Derek Stevens, from what I understand from the limited, you know, discussions I hear, you know, on the internet, is someone that wants to make this sports book. And he wants to make the sports book that way. And he has empowered a group of people to make that sports book that way. Now, Pinnacle's original founders, all games players, big stakes bridge, big stakes backgammon, you know, absolutely a lo- lot of gamble in them, super smart, you know, and they wanted to play a game. They, and they didn't want to play like an easy game. You know, don't get me wrong, you know, if you have, if you manage to get a lot of, you know, casual betters with you, obviously the game feels easy at times, but they weren't bothered about whether the game was hard or not. They wanted to play the game and the game of booking was just like intoxicating to them. So, you know, and you then, you know, our current CEO, Paris, you know, she has a wealth of experience in, uh, in, in, in the booking world, right from the, you know, working, you know, all the way up through, you know, all the levels to where she's got to now, you know, she believes in us. She believes in the traders doing the jobs, all the rest of it. Um, you know, and the ownership structure within Pinnacles behind us, you know, Chris, I got less, you know, bit about Chris, you know, but you know, that they're, you know, another person who sort of talked about in the triangle, if you like, um, I'm pretty sure that they also have a structure that is supportive of them. Um, and in the case of someone, you know, like, I like a Chris as well. Um, you know, if you're, if you're taking, um, why, you know, you, I picture, you know, I've, I've been to Costa Rica, but I've never actually, uh, I've never worked for any book over there, but I picture that, um, you know, you're going to have to write a lot of bets from a lot of bets that make you uncomfortable just to build your business up to the point where you can generate, you know, you've got to reach critical mass. And so I think if you're someone like a Chris or, you know, going back old school, like the Greek people like that, they probably had to write a lot of bets that may put them in a cold sweat. 
But, you, you know, you didn't know early on, like, this guy could be the guy who loses a million dollars or takes a million dollars off me. And, you know, so when you build a sort of heritage within your company that is about booking bets and booking bets in that way, that's all you know. It becomes sort of, it, you know, to use a cliche, it's in your DNA. Um, you know, if we look at a lot of the, you know, I suppose the UK, um, the UK books, I mean, quite a lot of the, you know, heritage, of the original UK books is sort of taking bets on taking bets, uh, you know, into the races as a day out. You know, there were lots of there were some hardened guys who come and pro bet racing and rest of it. But you know, there's generally these people like the the, the phrase you never see a poor bookie was like like just commonplace in the UK. You know, the seventies or whatever. These were the guys and all this kind of stuff. You know, they sort of they created this kind of perception of like bookmaking was just printing money. And so these people then opened, you know, betting shops like kiosks, or whatever, you know, within all all the towns in Britain. And then they went online, all the rest of it. And, you know, this is a product designed for casual five pound, five dollar bettors. Right. And that's the product we want to build. And then you had online casino come and it's like, well, this is, you know, a great add on. And then that add on. You know, iGaming, you know, we talk about all these pivots coming out from the regulated market in the US, people pivoting to iGaming, like, you know, they weren't intending to always be all about iGaming anyway, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's like, so I guess there's, there's certainly that element in that you've got to want to do it, um, because there'll always be that, I suppose, internal debate of dollar invest, like if you're the owner of, um, you know, let's say you want to create a company and like, let's say, oh, you want to open a sports book and the guy says like, here's model A, here's model B. And it's like, okay, well, I've got, you know, $100 million. Uh, what's the return over the next two years, three years, five years, 10 years, whatever for each of the different models. And, you know, there's undoubtedly some big appeal to, um, you know, the alternative, you know, the, the, the most common model at the moment. Um, and our model probably looks like hard work, right? And um, it probably looks like hard work, even harder work, when you look at um, the global taxation frameworks yeah. and the regulated frameworks. Um, you know, uh, there there is you know uh, licensing restrictions. Um, you know, they they they're currently everyone's seen bookmaking as this. Uh, infinite money pit that you know we can take money out of and when you know sometimes when you see some of the maybe not the u.s numbers but you know sometimes you see some of the numbers that come out of the europe over the years you're like gosh it does seem to be just limitless money but you know people want the sports want the data fees you know um the local areas you know states or countries they want the, the tax and they sometimes want the tax on do they want the tax on turnover do they want the tax on ggr do they want there's a myriad of things that suddenly mean that you what does it what does each dollar that someone bets with you cost you to facilitate and what is the cost of getting the customer in now i consider us fortunate in that we've built a brand um with good integrity um that's trustworthy and you know fortunately quite a lot of people end up betting with us because they don't have many other options to bet elsewhere. There's no point, you know, beating about the bush there. So, you know, and we don't, funnily enough, we don't have to pay any marketing dollars uh, to get the person who's been closed elsewhere to bet with us. So, you know, that, that, that's undoubtedly a, you know, a, a benefit to us. Um, and we welcome, like I say, we welcome those people with, with open arms. 
don't promise them an easy game, but you know, absolutely, you know, it's going to be um, should be an enjoyable one, should be a really stimulating one, that's for sure, if nothing else. Uh, um, what are your you thoughts know, on esports moving that's... forward? Obviously, you're a big, um, you, you know, managing that team um, at Pinnacle now. So, what do you think on the prospects for actually esports betting, and where would it eventually, hopefully, uh, rank in? I, I'm not managing esports. Has flown from growth. Esports oh, is its wow. own it's above big, growth big, now. It's it, yeah, it, it's grown. You know, <laughs> it, it's full. It's full grown. So, um, and it's it's massive. You know, it, it really is um absolutely huge for us, and it's growing. You know, it's it's one of those things where we're growing generally. You know, across the board. You know, but in terms of, you know, it's more hockey stick growth with esports than it is. And you know, there's a a whole new generation of people. You know, being born all the time now who are sort of coming to the age where they're really becoming either new people becoming engaged with esports, or alternatively, there are people who got into esports early who are now coming to the stages in their careers where they have more disposable income, right? These guys who, you know, grew up playing a lot of these games as teenagers, but now they're, you know, this completely stereotype, you know, Silicon Valley software developers or whatever. Not that they would be betting in California, of course. Um, but, you know, like th these people would, you know, suddenly have disposable income and want to bet. And maybe they want to bet on the things that they've actually become more familiar with than, you know, Monday Night Football, whatever it may be. So, um, so yeah, so we're definitely seeing, you know, growing people who exp only bet on esports. Um, we're seeing people who open accounts because they want to bet on esports with us. Um, people, you know, who just like, like I said, the volume is growing there, the product's growing. You know, it's um, there's an unbelievable amount of like content, right? Fixtures, leagues, etc. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's something that we take uh, very seriously. And, you know, we're also fortunate enough to be at the sort of the vanguard of. Um, integrity within it as well you know so where would you say it could, accusations you know COVID, etc where would you say it Go could ahead. eventually rank one day in terms of the the major sports like do you ever see it surpassing any of the the bigger sports if so which one um i genuinely think it can um I genuinely think so. If we if we think of global sports, like is it going to be bigger than soccer? No. Is it going to be bigger than basketball? I don't think so. At the end of the day, you know, those are sports that can be played in the poorest countries and the poorest areas in the world with no, you know, no effort. Maybe if Android handhold devices, you know, come down to five dollars or whatever, <laughs> and you can play the play the games on them. Who knows? But you know, generally, you know, um, and in terms of like, if you're talking specific uh, North American market, will it be bigger than the NFL? No. Um, although, you know, I don't know, I suppose give it 50 years and enough kids, enough parents don't want their kids playing football anymore. They want to play soccer. Who knows? Maybe that does change. Maybe NFL does lose its crown, but generally no, but I, I think it can beat out of tennis. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is something that's exclusively to, um, to us because we seem to have done a very good job of acquiring the fans, um, who want to bet esports? Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe that's not the case for another book. You know, European books will see a lot of tennis volume. It's very important to them. Um, but you know, when I look at the trajectory of something like tennis, where you've got guys who are barely able to pay for a living, you know, and they're still they're not even on the worst level tour. You know, the guys who are playing challenger tour, even you know, it's just scratching a living. And then I look at like you know, ten million plus dollar esports tournament prize pools. It's not just about, you know, the betting trajectory of it. Also, it is a little bit. I, I always used to hate people who said that 
sport popularity and betting volume correlate perfectly because they very obviously don't. But um, definitely, I would say that there's going to be a point where esports I consider to be going on a very you know upwards trajectory, and just it will drag by definition up. People want to bet on it because people love to speculate on sports. That's the truth. I think uh, just offering my perspective here, I think uh, Marco Bloom had a, a huge impact on Pinnacle and esports in particular. So I got to meet Marco at several conferences and, and speak to him. And he was super sharp and passionate about this. Uh, as someone who's all, you know, I'm not a video gamer myself. I've always been fascinated by esports and esports betting. Uh, I've ran esports focus groups before with gamers and betters and so on and so forth. And I think traditional bookmakers, a lot of the ones that are offering esports out there, just treat the esports better like they're the exact same as a sports better. And I think that they're way more nuanced and it's it's completely different to the point where an esports better, depending on the way you actually spell esports on your website, whether you capitalize the S or you put a hyphen, they're going to say, no, 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 these guys don't know what they're doing. This is a disgrace. There's no way I'm going to bet there. And I think where Pinnacle has separated itself in market is... I, I mean, I'm not in the inner workings of Pinnacle or, or whatever, but I think Marco's passion with esports and just him being involved in that in a daily really grew up the market offering to the point where Pinnacle is just... I, like, I wonder if esports is growing um, industry-wide or like market-wide as much as you think it is, or if it's just that you're seeing that within Pinnacle, who is an industry leader in esports. Because... When COVID happened, for example, right? This would have been, I think, the prime opportunity for esports betting to take off. You got nothing else going on, but lots of video games that we can bet on. And there were some offshore sports books running like Madden simulations and FIFA simulations, and those were, were doing well. But from the bookmakers we talked to um, across North America, they're like, yeah, we didn't really see a huge uptick in, in esports during the pandemic. And I'm, I find that, like, I'm floored by that, really, because it's, like, one of the only things that people could bet on. So that's just my perspective. I, want, I wonder if, if you want to comment on that at all. I, I feel like Pinnacle is an industry leader in esports, but maybe market-wide, it's not having the same, uh, it's not growing to the level that potentially you believe, Matthew. Yeah, I, I would say that, um, I would say that the, the broader bookmaking space will... So I, I think that the, the big pivot point is esports is massive in Latin America. And while Latin America has been growing as a, a region for bookmakers to enter into, um, it, it has been probably slower. You know, Brazil is on the brink of sort of regulated now. I think the rules, I think the laws were passed. But Brazil is massive for esports. Um, you know, India is not a regulated betting market yet, but people want to get in there and everyone focuses on cricket. Um, and yet, uh, mobile esports is absolutely massive in uh, in India. Um, China will China ever officially regulate its um, its its betting space? But you know, Tencent and the likes. You know, esports is absolutely enormous. You know, there. Um, you know, uh, Korea not regulated. Japan not regulated. Well, Japan's got its own sort of regulations. There's huge areas where, you know, I think. If all these places uh, changed their regulatory structures and every book was just allowed to enter with an online service, you know, I, I, I'm, maybe I'm overshooting this, but I think it would literally flip the switch overnight. Yeah. Um, so right now, when people are talking, you know, if we're talking to books 
in Nevada or books in the UK or books in, you know, Ontario even. And it's like, you know, how's esports been for you? It's like you've, you know, your journey of technology and experience of team sports in schools and things like that. It's, it's, it's sort of a different journey you've been through. Um, whereas like my, my, my mother's family is actually from Peru. I know I don't look it. Um, but like, you know, in the late nineties, like going to like internet cabins at like two in the morning in like South America and like playing like quake and things like that, mm. you know, it's just, you know, the, the, the intense passion they have for like the games as well is just like, it's like off the scale. So, you know, th I think right now there's no one, you know, people can't operate in these jurisdictions and there will be a time when they, I believe sort of, I kind of naively, this is probably the most naive thing is I kind of believe that ultimately everything will become, you know, open to everyone, but you know, that no guarantee of that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think like, let's, let's say China decides to just have a national bookmaker, just, you know, like there's going to be one bookmaker and it's going to be the, the Chinese national bookmaker. Um, I imagine that the Chinese national bookmaker would have King of Glory or whatever, one of the most popular esports. I, I, I picture it would actually have that to bet on. And I picture it would be massively popular. So yeah, I guess, you know, like so much in the world, it hinges on governments rather than on popularity. But in terms of, terms of people out there wanting to speculate on it, it's like, the skins market's been massive for esports. People just kind of sort of under, under report and undersell the size of that market. And a lot of those people, if given the right product, would translate in the same way that you know, DFS betters have in many ways translated to being betters. Um, you know, yeah. So I, I think I think you know it, it definitely. There's no reason why I couldn't do that. But yes, I absolutely am skewed by the fact that within Pinnacle, you know, I, I've worked seen other bookmakers. You know. It's, like I said, Sport Radar, we were looking at the books of like 100 odd bookmakers and, you know, esports was insignificant as a as a piece of the pie. Um, and then, you know, within Pinnacle World, it's enormous. But um, but I, I do think um, in the right areas, in the right jurisdictions, um, it's like a, it's going to be a behemoth, really. I, uh, I'm interested in getting into a, a betting advice question here. So the last episode of Circles Off we did was a Q&A. Johnny was tending to business matters and uh, we had plus EV analytics here in studio and we took a bunch of listener questions and we were able to get around to some of them, but there was one that uh, I'd specifically like to ask you here, um, which I think would be interesting and some people might be able to take away something. So we do have a lot of people who are uh, new betters that watch circles off. Um, they're not, you know, seasoned sharp betters that have been betting for 15, 20 years. One of the questions we got was, where should an aspiring quant or data scientist or even a new better focus on in markets right now? Essentially, if you could start from scratch, what do you think would be worth the effort? Um, I'm interested in your take. You've been in the industry for a long time. For someone that's new to the space, maybe has some sort of math background, programming skills, what do you think is a good starting point for them? Um, ultimate ambition is to well, become a professional better or just to get involved with betting and see how far you can take it kind of. I, I think it's, I don't think people are starting to bet to lose in the long run. So let's make the assumption that they're trying to bet to win, but maybe not at a professional level. Um, I, I firmly believe that. So I think there's a lot of people that feel that you need to be so dispassionate that actually not knowing anything about the sport is in somehow, um, uh, a benefit and weirdly enough there are plenty of pinnacle traders whose understanding is they understand the numbers and the movement of money and money flows exceptionally and they don't um, have like a deeper understanding of the sport and they don't need it to but from the betters perspective 
um, you know, you're not being paid a salary like a pinnacle trader is, and you know, you've not be- you've not fallen in love with the game yet. So to get that engine started, to get that fire in you, I think it helps to pick a sport that you're engaged in, which has its risks because you're obviously going to be emotionally attached more to a sport that you're already engaged in. But I think in order to understand the domain nuances, like if you build a model, it's really nice to be able to put your finger on what the model might be getting wrong with a bit of domain knowledge, you know. If, if it's like, you know, if, if you didn't know anything about, you know, football and the quarterbacks out, you know, and you didn't know what that meant, you know, you'd be, to use a grotesque example, but, you know, like that would be a big disadvantage kind of thing. So I think you want to make, you want to put as much little resistance, um, you want to you want to make the bedding of things the enjoyable, you know, you want to get to that point as fast as possible. So minimizing the obstacles in terms of your understanding of, um, you know, how the rules of the sport work, how the sport works and getting involved with that. Um, and then I would say once you've, um, you know, chosen your, your your area you want to specialize, you know, even if it is, you know, um, uh, let's say, you know, you want to do football, you know, it's, 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 it's always scaling up the liquidity scale. It doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of, you know, you can bet NFL sides, but you're betting at the open, you know, um, you know, people talk about you know player props and these kind of things. You know, I, I would, I would, I would say just generally, you know, the 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 lower the the lower the limit and the big like people should never be put off by big vig either. Big vig is just fear. Right. At the end of the day, you know, yeah. just take it on. You know, it's absolutely no, no, don't be worried about that. Um, because one thing that is uniform throughout twenty years of like me and bookmaking is that. Uh, the places where there's the biggest vig are the places where there's actually still too little vig. Mm-hmm. In yeah, a weird way, we constantly we constantly underestimate. Like you look at the vigs that some of the player props have on them, right? And you think to yourself, "That's a lot of vig." It is a lot of vig, but if you know, we're completely wrong, it doesn't matter, right? So, um, you know, I, I again, I would say just pick something that you can really get, you know, engagement and enjoyment out of, and then you know, work up the work up the 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 volume scale. Um, and go from there, you know, um, because, you know, and you, and you want to, you know, you want to be able to get anything in life. You want to get some early wins. I mean, the, the world is littered with people who like stop betting just because, you know, people who are trying to do betting seriously. I mean, you know, obviously if you've got a lot of gambling, you carry on betting regardless, but you know, there's all worlds can be full of people who like built the first spreadsheet, gave it a go. And because the first hundred bets were terrible, that's it. That spreadsheet just lives in the C drive forevermore. Yeah, you know, kind true. of thing. You know, so um, I think, you know, if you've got the passion for the sport, you've got something to drive you on because you're going to be watching it anyway. So, you know, kind of I, I, I believe in that. I, I generally believe that helps. I think the next round of uh, bet stamp swag that we put together needs to be a shirt that says big vig is just fear. I love that. <laughs> I've never heard that before, but it's um, it's actually a, a great a great saying. Uh, I think we might actually throw those together. We'll give you uh, some sort of royalty on it, of course, Matt. No. We'll give you some. Um, the name Adam Chernoff, does that mean anything to you? Are you familiar with Adam Chernoff? Uh, yeah, I am familiar with Adam Chernoff. Well, I, Matt, I think, Matthew um, wins, listens to all these podcasts of oh. ours, which is uh, kind of something that I'm not, I'm not too thrilled with, to be honest. Like that you listen to all the podcasts because then it's like, well, if there's something we now we got to be careful what we say, you know, because I'm, I, I bet into pinnacle stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But no, we do appreciate your support. We're just joking around. So with, nah, yeah. with the name, I, I bring up Adam Chernoff because, um, there's like this debate that goes on behind the scenes now in like, uh, discords and stuff like that. So Adam, uh, has a telegram channel 
that has like 8,000 subscribers. And what's happening now is it's not just Adam. There's more and more people with large followings that are giving like these, these public releases of plays in Telegram channels to large followings that seem to be impacting the market because there's so many people that are just going out and betting this all at once. And there's a lot of debate now on whether or not does the closing line even matter anymore in a lot of sports because there are these public figures who may or may not be long-term winning bettors that are actually just influencing the market. And I'm very curious if you're aware, for one, that there are these like public releases to these large followings nowadays. And if you are aware, um, you know, kind of how you process that in real time. Are you just so forced to move a number because so many people are betting something at once? Or is there something that actually goes into moving the number because, you know, it, you know you're, you're falling back on your profiling as well? So you can't ever give um, these sort of external shocks um, undue influence, right? You can't be... Uh, if There would be zero point in us ever signing up to a RAS or to, you know, listening to Adam Chernoff when he posts his picks. You know, we worked very hard to get to the point where money moves lines. Some money moves it slightly more, some moves it slightly less, but money moves lines. You know, we don't want to move before. We don't want to move on air in these situations. We want to know exactly how smart the money is over the long term. You don't find out how smart the money is unless you take the bet. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not that it's irrelevant. It's, of course, it's not irrelevant. You know, if people bet Adam's views with us, it's, it's you know, we see the bet, you know, and we work with it. And who knows, maybe there's some guy who's built some sort of, uh, you know, Alexa bot that listens to Adam's and bets it instantly with us for all I know. But that guy will crop up as the first guy who always bets at this time. And like, you know, we trace it back, you know, it's, it's kind of these things like people think that it's like, I love the idea of like the subversive bookmaker, like, you know, hiding in the discords or whatever like that. Like when I'm ever in these places, like I'm just trying to find out if there's ways to do the business better. Right. You know, if people have a criticism, I try to, you know, you know, consider that if possible. Um, but yeah, this idea that we sort of somehow are like slaves to sort of, you know, oh, these guys are really good or whatever. No, you just you just let the let the chips fall where they fall, right? You see how the money goes, and you just over time, you know, like if we built a really super specific strategy to handle like Adam Chernoff's releases, how long before someone games that? How long before someone flips it on us? Yep. You know, how long before someone goes to Adam and say, "Hey, Adam, literally, it's worth 10k <laughs> to you." You know, if you say this side when we mean the other side, you know, it's like like I went back to that phrase I used, resilient. You know, robust bookmakers have to make themselves as bulletproof as possible to misdirection and to these kind of things. So, yeah, I'm we're aware of them. Um, you know, certain sources very popular. You know, definitely generate volume. Um, but we yeah, we just take each bet on its merits and we, you know, like I say, slowly but surely we build up a record of how, but, you know, for us, inevitably, if someone gives out a number and people just want to bet it into the ground, you know, I know minus 110 has gone. I'll take the 12, the 14, 16, 20, 25, whatever, you know, the EV runs out on these picks eventually. So that's obviously, you know, and, and we won't sort of really know on average what the EV is 
you know, the weird thing is, is that we are our own bet stamp, you know, we're profile, you know, the right. betting records build up with us. Yep. So, um, and yeah, we won't know, um, you know, we won't know Adam's record until, until we take the bets. So yeah, it's, um, I don't want to sound like dismissive of it. Like no, no. Just people, you know, it, it just, we let it happen and, and we go from there. Well, that, that's what I would do too, because like, you know, obviously you can move on air, but then it's just a matter of time that like you said before, it's like, okay, well they're moving on air. Like, well, well, they, they move it when we load it up like this. Okay, perfect. Let's do the reverse. Then bang, bang, bang. It's just going to, and, and, and it might not, you might, you guys might not catch it until it's too late as well. And then next thing you know, okay, bam, there's the profitability. Might as well just take the hits once and call it a day. Yep. Move on the action. Um, we have one final question for you, Matthew, which is the same question that we ask all of our guests. If you could go back five years, just a, a simple five years, to the previous version of yourself and, uh, you know, you can talk to him. What's the one piece of advice that you would offer? Um, so uh, I'll sort of, I suppose I'll split it into betting advice and sort of general life. So like professionally and like life advice for me is reduce friction. Redu- learn how to reduce friction in your life. So I'm someone who has chosen at least 10,000 hills to die on vocally and angrily. And it has never, you know, it, it put it this way. It took me 20 years to get to pinnacle. And I don't know whether I could have got to where I wanted to be faster. If I had just acknowledged, like probably just being a better human, you know, but like the reality is, is that within work, I always came in hard, strong opinion, you know, and was always like, always wanted to win in style, you know, with like everyone, you know, it's like, it's like why I struggled with Twitter and why I'm not on Twitter now is, you know, going in and saying, right, I'm going to tell these people how it works. And then everyone's going to stand up. They'll just start slow clapping and then it'll build to a crescendo and they'll be cheering my name and telling me how right I was. You know, what's never happened in my entire life (laughs) ever. So I would say like, um, I don't know where I put the phrase reduce friction, but like reduce the sort of antagonization with people. I would say that that is like, or become a professional better and live in a hut, you know, one or the other. But, you know, generally is like, for me, that's definitely something that I would advise people, you know, and I would definitely tell myself because, you know, even five years ago, I was still a bit too, uh, you know, spiky about all these things. Um, And in terms of betting, um, it, it sounds weird, but like I would definitely, if I was advising myself for my own betting, would always be, you know, what do you actually expect to get out of this? Because I literally talk for the last 20 years, I've just ended up speaking to people like literally I meet people who've won eight figures plus, you know, occasionally you get very lucky and you have a few brief words with someone who owns, you know, board a football team, you know, you know, a Premier League football team or something like that, you know, so, and you meet these people and it just completely skews your expectations going back to the, you know, breaking even is good. You know, I would definitely say to myself, Matthew, like, be honest with yourself. You love your job. You love booking. There's no shame in, you know, enjoying that. So because sometimes I, I sometimes I would actually sort of say to myself, you know, all these people, you know, all this information. And yet, you know, you break out in a sweat, you know, just clicking the button to place a bet sometimes because, you know, you just sort of get that anxiety. The idea is I should just, you know, I wish I could have just, you know, right now I feel pretty at peace with, you know, 
I love my work and I, I do that pretty much. That's my focus. But there's been times over the years where I'd be like, I, I could be a professional gambler. Yeah, I, I reckon I could do that. It's like ice in the veins, my friend. You do not have it. You know, you could not you could not do this. And you're not, you know, you're not the kind of person who's ever gonna sort of learn to be able to do it. So um, so yeah, so I would have just said, you know, what do you expect? And the reality is is that I was wish I just wish you know I wish I could go full and just be pure subjectivity guy. I wish I could just walk into the bar on a Friday and be like, now I just can't bet because obviously I don't want to have a bet. So if I have a negative EV bet and it's like, oh my god, like someone might be watching, like me having a bad bet, you know, like <laughs> so it's, I've, I've I've taken away the fun betting for myself and I've also acknowledged that like I'm not going to be a professional gambler. So now what I'm left with is 400 spreadsheets on the C drive all you know, gathering dust, basically, of failed experiments, etc. So yeah, so but you know, for anyone's out there, you know, it's like, you know, there's lots of people, professional betters, in this, whether it's your podcast, or, you know, The Risk of Ruin, or Spank, all these other podcasts, that are basically interviewing wildly successful people. And they did it, you know, like, like literally we're trapped in survivor survivorship bias world at this point. And so you can be like, you just step back, how realistic is that you're what that person? Now, what would be good? Define what good for you is. And if, you know, getting to the end of the season, you know, and your $1,000 bankroll is $1,200, does that feel good? You're damn right, which should feel fantastic, you know. So, you know, that's uh, that's definitely, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be like going, so what you're saying is just lower the bar until you can get over it, right? Is that what you're saying? But yeah, you know, like I would say, um, you know, I, I haven't lowered the bar and like I haven't lowered the bar in my work, you know, like right. I still want to be the best, you know, bookmaker in the world. So but yeah, pick and choose your battles. So that would be um but yeah, have a have a have a clear idea of what you want to get out of betting before you go full bore and just firing off like a lunatic, you know. I would uh, I would suggest that caution. Thank you. Thank you very much for the response. I think that's uh very helpful. Um I could definitely take that first piece of advice to heart. Which is not create less friction yeah probably myself as well um any any questions you had for us matthew if not we'll, we'll close off um well one day i may resurrect my own podcast and i'll have you both on and interview you but until absolutely. then until then i've probably spoken too long already so absolutely so when you're going up when you're going up against those growth markets on pinnacle when you are betting <laughs> uh you know kbo not only are you up against that vig but you're also up against this man right here Matthew Trenhill, the uh, head trader for growth markets at Pinnacle, one of the sharpest in the game. We appreciate uh, you taking your time to come on. You've uh, been very generous with it. And uh, we will talk to you soon and see everybody else next week. 